Our goal at Hope Church is to help people get into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then once they're in that relationship, to grow in their faith. And that's essentially what we try to do. And we try to meet you where you're at and help you to take one step closer to where uh, God wants you to be. Uh, And this message this morning kind of goes along those lines because, you know, a lot of us have convictions. We all have things that we believe. And some of them are silly convictions, but we have some, most of us have fundamental convictions. We say, this is really significantly important in my life. This is a really important thing. And it's one thing to have those convictions. It's another thing to live them out. It's another thing to say, I believe in this so strongly, I'm willing to stand up and speak about it. Um, In our passage this weekend, we're going to see where where Paul confronts Peter. And he's going to confront Peter on something that should have been, you know, and it was probably one of Peter's convictions, but he was violating a very important conviction because he was afraid of, he had the fear of men. Um, have you, have, have there ever been a time in your life, let me ask you this question, we get started. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've had a really strong conviction about something, but you've remained quiet about it? You haven't spoken up, you haven't said anything, because there's been peer pressure, there's been people around you, and you say, you know what, in your mind you're thinking, if I do this, it's going to cause conflict, if I do this, I'm going to be rejected, if I do this, people are going to think I'm weird, and I really kind of want to fit in here. I really don't want to make my life more difficult, so I'm just going to keep quiet, I'm just going to shut up. Well, essentially, what, uh, what Peter uh, did was he was doing a practice that, that violated a conviction. And basically, Paul uh, had to come, and he, he took Peter to task. He called him to task. So the passage we're going to look at this morning is found in Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. If you want to use the chair Bible, it's page 891. And we're going to re- I want to read through that whole passage, and then we'll talk about it. We'll, go, we'll talk about what's going on. We'll apply a couple of principles from that passage. So uh, Galatians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following, and this is a key phrase in verse 14, when I saw they were not following the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish tradition? You and I are Jews by birth not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will, this is a key phrase, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law that I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. 
Now, some of you don't have a life a verse, a verse that just kind of speaks to your life, who you were, who you are. If you're looking for one, verse 20 is a fabulous verse for that. Paul says this in verse 20, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live this earth, in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Now, modern in our modern times, in our pop culture, in our world today, in our Christian community today, many people are saying, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I need to do my part. I need to work hard at this. I need to do my, you know, it's Jesus plus me. And I just want to say that if your efforts are enough, then Jesus and His death was in vain. If your efforts are enough, His, his death was in vain. So we want to talk about these two meetings. The first meeting was in Jerusalem. And it says we read that uh, last weekend where Paul basically talked about how he went down to Jerusalem. He met with the pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John. They were the leaders of the church. And he basically went down there not to get his message affirmed, but to make sure that they were both preaching the same gospel. They weren't preaching two different gospels. And they were. Paul leaves there saying, they didn't add anything to what I was teaching. And what he was saying there is, we were on the same page. We were preaching the same thing. We were teaching the same thing. There was an extremely influential group, though, in verse 12. And Paul calls them the circumcision group. And they were exerting pressure to follow the law. And if you want to read what they taught, we talked about it last week in Acts chapter 15, verse 1 and verse 5. They were teaching that a person needed to believe and or plus be circumcised or follow the law. Now, I was out to dinner last night and I was talking to this couple and they said, you know, you've talked about circumcision and our kids don't know what circumcision is. And so um, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you may want if you <laughs> if you are a, a parent, that might be a conversation you might want to have to explain what that is. But it was it, it was a social uh, event that took place within the Jewish community that said you're part of the Jewish community, you're part of the Jewish community. So it was a, that type of thing. But I just you know you make assumptions about people knowing what things are, uh, and it essentially. Uh, that may be a discussion you want to have on the way home. How about that? That would be fun. But essentially what this uh, circumcision party was doing was they essentially taught that you needed to believe in Jesus and you needed uh, to become a cultural Jew. Even if you were a, uh, a Jew, a Gentile, you needed, to be, you needed to be circumcised. You needed to follow the law. You needed to become a cultural Jew. Yes, Jesus, but you had to do this also. Now, they also said that they, they were sent from James. Now, James, as we talked about last weekend, was probably seen, and he was, the leader of the Church of Jerusalem. And uh, I think what was going on here is these, these people of the circumcision party who have come out to Antioch, I think what they're doing is they're saying they're coming, James told, sent us, you know. I don't think they're accurately representing James. I don't think that, that that's what James taught because after all we saw earlier that he was on the same page. They're adding to the gospel and I don't think that they're speaking the true words of what James was saying. Uh, but as we'll see, Beliefs or convictions often collide with reality. 
Um, in, in other words, our, our convictions need to have legs. Sometimes our convictions don't have legs. And when they're challenged, they don't stand up. The first visit, though, tells us what the gospel is. And Paul basically is the first visit was when I went down to Jerusalem and I took Barnabas and I took Titus down. Titus was a Gentile who was uncircumcised. And the, the point was Titus was a test case. Are you going to require me to get Titus? Is he going to have to be circumcised to fit in, to be part of the group? And essentially he wasn't. And so uh, Paul went down and met with the pillars of the church. That was the first meeting. The second meeting was when Peter uh, came up to Antioch. So Peter comes up to Antioch, but he lacked the courage of his convictions. And that's where Paul had to really call him out. Now, the first meeting was a very uh, private meeting. It was just Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John, and Paul meeting privately. This meeting was in front of everyone. <laughs> basically, Paul basically went off on Peter in front of everyone. And because Peter lacked the courage of his convictions, and his behavior towards Gentiles was changing, um, now, one of the things that we, that, that's going on here is that Peter had a blind spot. And by the way, we all, probably every one of us has a blind spot. And you may not know what your blind spot is because of what we call it a blind spot because it's hard for you to see it. In fact, when people tell you you kind of have a blind spot or you have this behavior or you have this attitude or whatever it is, you go, no, I don't think I do. And everybody around you, no, yeah, you do. <laughs> you have this blind spot. And it's very evident to people around you, but you can't see it, right? But Peter's blind spot was he, was he had the fear of people. He had the fear of men. And that came out over and over and over. Remember the first time uh, that, that we saw this? Jesus is at the Last Supper and he tells his disciples that uh, you're basically going to, uh, you, you, they're going to come for me and you're going to run away like little girls. By the way, if you're a little girl and you're offended, I'm sorry, I apologize, but that's what they did. And so essentially... He, the, the, the deal is, there, and where's Peter? Peter is off. He's kind of lurking around, watching the events from afar off. And guess what? A little girl says to him, aren't you one of them? Weren't you following him? And Peter says, no, no, no. You see, there it is right there. We see the first version of it. Now, the second visit between Paul and Peter shows us how the gospel works. What's going on here? What's, what's happening here? Well, essentially what's going on here is that Peter is, is having meals with the Gentiles, which is perfectly okay. They're part of the church just like the Jews are, and they don't have to be circumcised. They're clean. And essentially Peter is practicing good behavior. He's eating with the Gentiles, and not just eating with them, probably celebrating communion with them. They would have love feasts, which would be a meal, and it would culminate in communion. This is probably what's going on. So now this circumcision party comes out to Antioch, and they basically begin to put the screws down. They begin to put the pressure down. They begin to teach, hey, what are you doing here? These Gentiles are unclean. And so, so Peter begins to kind of pull himself away from this community. And Paul sees this going on. And he says, no, 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 no. This is not right. This is not right. He began to, Peter began to avoid these meals. And he was feeling the pressure of the circumcision party. He, he began to see them as unclean. Now, what you have to remember is that uh, there's a whole history of things going on here. Uh, two, there's two things to consider. 
Some of you might remember that Peter had a life-changing experience. If you go to the, bir- the book of Acts chapter 10, Peter meets this, uh, this Gentile, called, and his name is Cornelius. And basically, <laughs> God goes through some, some major moments in Peter's life to say, Peter, don't call unclean what I call clean. In other words, what he was saying is the Gentiles not just going to the Jews, it's going to the Gentiles. Or to the, it's going to the Gentiles too. It's going to everyone. It's not going to be just based upon this race, or it's just not going to go to this race. It's going to go to all men, all races. And, and what used to be clean is clean now. And Cornelius was a Gentile, and he began to help Peter see this truth. And God showed him this, that, uh, and, and Peter began to accept the Gentiles, and he began to eat meals with them. Now, remember, Jesus, when he was on this earth, one of the knocks that he would get from the religious leaders, do you remember what it was? He says he eats and drinks with what? Sinners. <laughs> he shouldn't be with these kind of people, you know, right? Because they're unclean. They're, they're riffraff. They should, and, and, and essentially, Peter lacked the courage of his convictions. And uh, it led to, essentially, what it led to is racist. It's nothing more than that. It's just simply racist. Now, we would say racism is wrong. Christianity teaches that racism is wrong. It hasn't always gotten it right in the big umbrella of Christianity. But if you understand the Bible correctly, if you understand the gospel correctly, racism is nothing more than not understanding the implications of the gospel. It really is. And so Peter uh, confronts Paul's racism in verse 14. He says, they were not walking in line with the gospel. So he uses this phrase. He says, I confronted Peter because he was not walking in line with the gospel. Because he wasn't in law, walking in line with the gospel, he was showing racism. Now, what does he mean by that? That phrase, walking in line, is, it's kind of like this. It was like well, last week when the police officer asked me to get out of the car and walk. No, that never happened to me. But... But, but that, you know, you've seen it on TV. Maybe it's happened to you. Don't tell anyone. But, you, you know, you get out and the police officer says, please walk this, this line. And if you fall over, you, you know, trip or something, they say, you know what? I, I think you're a little inebriated. I think you're a little uh, under the influence. And what, what, what this word is saying is essentially what the scripture here is saying. What Paul is saying here is Peter couldn't walk the line straight. He was drunk. He had, he had missed. He, couldn't, he wasn't applying the gospel correctly. He had strayed from the gospel. He had fallen off the course. And Paul was showing Peter that, that, that God did not have a relationship. He was saying, essentially, do you think that God really had a relationship with you just because you were a Jew? Is that what you're thinking? Is that what you're saying? Do you think that your, your relationship with God is based upon your race or your culture? If that's the case, Peter, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand it. You've missed the implications of the gospel. See, racism is nothing more than forgetting that you're saved by grace. That you're not saved by race. And that's why the gospel goes to everyone. You know, I, I was talking to a lady that was here a couple weeks ago, and I forget where she was from, but uh, she says, well, I'm going to be going back home in Jamaica somewhere, some down there, down there. And she says, I really enjoyed being at the worship services. And she was a sister in Christ. And we were talking about how, because we, even if we were different races, we just had a connection because of Jesus Christ. That it transcends race. And what Paul was saying is, Peter, don't make the gospel a race thing. Don't make it just for the Jews. See, following the law 
to the exclusion of others misses the gospel. Racism is not in line with the gospel. So what are the lessons? And there's two lessons we just want to talk about fairly quickly about this from this passage. Um, number one, we need to balance truth and tenderness. Um, our passage tells us, maybe you saw this, our passage tells us that even Barnabas, who was a close friend of Paul, was turned. He, he folded under pressure just like Peter did. Now you'd say, so the, so the circumcision group comes up and even Barnabas folds. And Paul must have been tremendously disappointed with that. I don't know about you, but maybe you have a colleague, somebody you work with, somebody you're very close with, somebody that you... And all of a sudden, you know, there's pressure put on, and all of a sudden, you're standing alone. And you say, well, well, well where'd you go? And that's kind of what happened. Uh, let me refer you to, and I want to read this passage, Acts chapter 11, verse 24. says this gives you an idea. So some of you may not know who Barnabas is. You may not understand the relationship that Paul and Barnabas had. It was a very close relationship. And it says this in verse 24 of Acts 11. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to, uh, on to uh, Tarsus to look for Saul. Now that's Paul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. What's going on here? Barnabas was the Gentile that brought, put an arm around put her arm around uh, Paul and said to the Christians, to the people in Antioch, you, he's good. You can trust him. You don't have to worry about him. He gave validity to Paul. He began to help Paul in his early ministry. So they became ministry partners together. So all of a sudden now, they've been together. They've, people have been coming to Christ. God has been using them in powerful ways. These, these Judaizers, these party of the circumcision come up and all of a sudden <laughs> Peter's looking around and he's or Paul's looking around he sees Peter over here with the compromise and then he's looking around and Barnabas has fallen into the trap he must have been tremendously disappointed now I think what's going on here is Barnabas showed himself as you read through scripture he showed himself to be a tender-hearted person but you know here's the problem some of you are some of you you know, it's kind of a continuum. You have a person who's tender-hearted over here, and you have a truth person over here. Well, Barnabas was really more tender-hearted. And it's great that you're tender-hearted. It's great that you have a heart and you care about people. But you know what? The Achilles heel of a person who's tender-hearted is you fudge on the truth. You don't say what needs to be said sometimes. You're not willing to stand up. When the pressure gets on, you say, you know what, I just want to be a peacemaker. I don't want to cause problems. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bring conflict. I don't like conflict. And the besetting sin of a tender-hearted person is that you can be a compromiser. Now, some of you are to that, to that side of the scale. You... You're tender-hearted, and you find yourself compromising, depending on what crowd. You're almost a chameleon. Whatever crowd you're in, you fit the crowd, but you're not willing to stand up and take a stand because you fear men. That's, that was Peter's thing over and over and over. He feared men. And, and I want to tell you what the cure of that is because here's, there's two wells you can drink out of. The first well is you can drink out of the well of the gospel. And the gospel basically says you're loved, you're forgiven, you're saved, you're accepted because I accept you. You're loved. 
You're accepted by the God who created the whole universe, who sent His Son to die for you. You're accepted. You're loved. You'll never have to do anything to earn my, to earn my favor. My favor has already been earned and you had nothing to do with it. You are loved. Would you just accept that fact that you're loved by the most important person in the universe and He'll never deny you, He'll never reject you, He'll never throw you out, He'll never look the other way, He'll never be embarrassed by you. Will you just accept that fact? And that's one well you can drink out of. The other well is this well that Peter and Barnabas are drinking out of. It's a bitter well. It's the well that says, I'm looking for the acceptance of the crowd that is around me. I'm looking for the acceptance from my boss, my co-workers. I'm looking for the acceptance of my, my peers, whatever they may be. I'm looking for the acceptance of my family. And I will compromise my beliefs. I will compromise, and, and, I, and, 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 I, and I, I, I would just do that. But here's the thing. When you drink from that well, it's very bitter because it will turn on you. The cure for this, you could still be tender-hearted and you could still stand for the truth, but the cure is you have to drink from this well. You have to say, I'm accepted by God. And that's the most important thing. That'll never change. I could be tender-hearted, but, but there has to be a point where I step up and say, I don't really care what you think because I care what He thinks more than what you think. And until you get to that point, you're always going to compromise the truth. You're always going to walk away when the, when the pressure gets on. You're always going to walk away. But when you understand I'm accepted by Him and I'll never be rejected by Him and I care more about what He thinks than what you think, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is, then you'll make a turn. So I don't know where you fall down. Now, maybe you're like more like Paul. Paul was much more on the truth side, okay? So he got up and he basically did, he didn't do this privately. He didn't pull Peter aside. Hey, Peter, come here. I need to talk to you, Barnabas. You might want to join in here. We need to have a conversation. No, he did it out front. And he basically said, you guys are jeopardizing the gospel. This is not the gospel. Now, some of you, you hear about Paul and you hear about him standing up. You know, and you, yeah, baby, Paul, go for it. You know, because you're the truth person, right? You like, you're all about the truth. You're all about the, you know, you you got the double-barreled shotgun of truth. That you, you know, I, the Achilles' heel of a truth person is they can lack tenderness. You know, th- th- we know later on if you read through the Book of Acts that Paul and Barnabas came to a point where they had to part ways, and it probably was due to. Uh, the, the struggle they had between the truth and the tenderness, I think what made them a good team is they had both of those going on. But they had to part ways. Now, we don't know what happened ultimately. I mean, essentially, uh, we're not told how Paul handled himself. What we do know is that at this moment, Paul needed to stand up to one of the pillars of the church, Peter, and say, Peter, you are missing the mark of the gospel. Now, I don't know where you're at on this scale. Whether you, you, you are stronger towards the truth or stronger towards tenderness, but just know that there's Achilles' heel to both of those. And you've got to be careful about that. And, and you go to the acceptance of God. You say, God, you accept me, and that's the most important person in the world. You know, we use this phrase, play to an audience of one. Have you ever found that when you play to an audience of everyone around you, it gets, life gets complicated and it gets hard and it gets, you just can't win? Now, by the way, playing to the audience of one doesn't mean that life around you is going to go like super smooth either. It won't. But you'll know when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, I did the right thing by him. And if I do that, then that's okay. 
Here's the second balance we need to have here. And I need to move through this rather quickly. We must not lose the gospel between legalism and liberalism. Tertullian said, and this is the quote, uh, Tertullian was an early church father from 160 to 220 uh, A.D. He said, just as Christ was crucified between two thieves, so the doctrine of justification is ever crucified between two opposite errors. The two opposite errors are this. One is legalists. Legalists basically said it's the gospel plus. It's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus a certain lifestyle. It's all that. We talked about that last weekend. And basically, this view uh, reflected the circumcision group uh, uh, that Paul was challenging and that Peter was falling uh, prey to. Uh, But here's the point. If you don't understand grace and you don't understand Christ's complete satisfying sacrifice on the cross for us, we're left with working our, our own salvation. We're left with doing our best, working hard, trying, trying harder, doing, doing more, uh, following more rules, and it becomes a very legalistic thing. I remember when somebody asked me if I was a Christian, I said, sure I am. They said, well, <clears throat> if God were to say, why, would you, would you, if, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And I said, well, I do. And I went on for a little bit, talked about all my accomplishments, and finally he says, okay, so where does Jesus come in? And I thought, you're right, I didn't mention a word about Jesus. I think he comes in there somewhere. But see, here's what happens. When you, when you fall into a legalistic lifestyle, when you fall into a legalistic belief system, it all depends on you. Really, Jesus doesn't play a role. What we're essentially saying if we're a legalist and we don't understand the gospel as far as legalism is we say, I don't need Jesus, I can do it myself. Secondly, liberals... You can have a liberal view of the gospel. And the liberal view of the gospel says, don't worry about it. We're all accepted. We're all just going up different paths. We're, you know, we, we may call God different names, but in the end, we're all going to get to the same place. And, you know, essentially, God is just a, this loving, impersonal being, whatever you want to make him. Uh, he's like putty, so you make him whatever you want. And we're all going to get there and say, oh, you were right and I was right. And we were all right, even though our, our beliefs are contradictory to one another. Um, but that being said, we get to the top and we believe it. And the other thing that goes with that is not only is God a loving acceptance of everyone, but we're not so bad. We're not so bad. And, and frankly, all we need to do is follow the golden rule and we'll be accepted. But this, this view of the gospel doesn't take into account incredibly important things that are taught in Scripture. Number one, we are extremely sinful and that we are rebellious. And here's the problem. We don't take our sin seriously. This view doesn't take sin seriously. It would be like this. You don't, if, if you have this view, you don't appreciate the gospel. You don't appreciate because you really haven't been rescued from anything. You weren't so bad after all, and God is, you know, overlooks everything, right? He wasn't looking. He was asleep. He was in his rocker. He didn't see it. And, and, and what I did wasn't so bad, and, and, and we, may, we justify ourselves. And I just want to say to you, until you come to the place where you understand the depth of what it cost Christ to pay for your sin, you not understand the gospel. It's like this. If we were downtown... And you were walking across Main Street, and I said, watch out, there's, and there's a car bearing down on you. And you, you look quickly, you see the car, and you jump out of the way. You might say, hey, thanks. And I'll say, think nothing of it. You know, and you, you, you say, wow, that was close, and I'm glad somebody, he saw that and yelled to me, and I got out of the way. 
and, and that would be the end of it. You might talk about it for a couple of days, but essentially you might see me and say, hey, thanks again. No, don't worry about it. But essentially, it's not a big deal because you jumped out of the way, right? Let's just say the same scenario. And I yelled, watch out. And you look, but it's too late. And essentially, instead of me just yelling, I, I run and I, I jump and I push you out of the way. And I'm going to play the hero here, and I don't like pastors to do that, but this is a fix. This is your story, so don't worry about it. Um, and, and I knock you out of the way, and you hit the sidewalk and roll, and you, you're okay. But I get hit, not just hit, but I get killed. Now, at that point, you might say, wow, <laughs> I'm alive, he's dead. See, when you... When you understand the gospel, you realize it's not just somebody saying, hey, look out. It's somebody who jumps in front, takes the hit, and dies saving you. When you understand the gospel that way, you realize this is a big deal. This isn't something I could do myself. Paul puts it this way, or John puts it this way in his gospel. In Jesus we behold the glory of one, full of grace and truth. I I love how Tim Keller puts this. He says, we understand, when we begin to understand the gospel, we we begin to understand that we're more sinful than we ever dared believe, but through Christ we are more accepted than we ever dared hope. If you see the gospel as just trying harder, working harder, doing more, following the rules, keeping the law, whatever it is, just Jesus plus something, you just... You just got to work. You just got to do more. If you see the gospel as that, you don't understand the gospel. But the other extreme is true, too. If you see the gospel, it's open to everyone, no matter what you believe or how you behave. If you see the gospel that in the end, God will lovingly accept you. And after all, you're not so bad. You don't understand the gospel. But if you see the gospel as God's only solution to rescue you because you are not seeking Him, but in fact you're in rebellion, you're drowning in sin, you're lost and without hope. If you see that your only chance, your only hope is Jesus and His sacrifice alone. If you see yourself drowning in sin and crying out to Him because you're about ready to go under the water and Jesus doesn't say, here, swim like this or work harder or paddle like this. He jumps in and He saves you, He rescues you, He puts you up on dry land and He perishes in the the process. And He gives His life for you so that you could live. He's dead, but you're alive. If you begin to see the Gospel that way, you're starting to understand the Gospel. So Paul basically had to come to Peter and say, Peter, you're missing the mark. You're walking off the line. You are, you are not, you're not teaching the Gospel. Your biggest problem isn't racism. Your biggest problem is you don't understand the Gospel. You're not applying it. You're not standing up for the Gospel. And if if Paul had not addressed Peter, we would have had two Gospels. We would have had one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. I want to close with Paul's words. He says, We know that a person is made right by God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. So where are you at? Where do you fall on this scale? You know, are you a real benevolent loving, caring person, or are you a truth person? 
you know, and do you see the flaws that you can have? Where are you at as far as the gospel? Do you see the gospel as me trying, working hard, working very hard, struggling, you know, doing my best? Do you see the gospel as just this, this laissez-faire, we're not so bad, God is going to accept everyone? You missed the mark. When we truly understand the gospel, we're in awe, we're amazed, we're stunned, we're just... We come to a place where we say, I can't understand it. I can't believe it. I can't. You know, the gospel isn't just, you know, some people think, well, the gospel's for the beginners. It is for the beginners, but it's, it's more than that. We'll, we'll never, it's such a profound truth. We could study it for the rest of our lives and we'll learn more. We'll understand it more. We'll grasp it more and more. If you say, though, the gospel is Jesus came and He gave His life and He rescued me when I couldn't rescue myself. And He gave His life so that I could live. Now we're starting to understand the Gospel. May God help this church, may God help you to stand up and to speak the truth in a loving way, the Gospel. Because it's not being heard in this community, clearly. And, and I love what Bob said in his testimony. He says, I began to hear the gospel. The dime, the dime dropped. My eyes were open. My heart was turned. And I began for the first time to hear and see and understand the gospel. And maybe that's happening to you this morning. And maybe through you, God will use you this week to help other people see and hear the gospel for the first time. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Help us, Father, because without your help, this is impossible. I pray that you would help us to clearly, clearly hear the gospel. And Father, help us to allow this profound truth of the gospel to be lived out as we apply it in our day-to-day lives and not be fearful of men. Help us, Father, to speak the truth in a loving way. Help us to challenge people in a loving way. Help us not to fold It's one thing to have convictions, Father. It's another thing to live out our convictions. Help us to live out our convictions daily. And as you give us an opportunity, let us be prepared to give an answer about those who ask us about our hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.